Romans, the gospel for all time. We're in chapter 13. We finally left chapter 12. So open your Bibles, find a gadget. There are Bibles in the seats, baskets if, around you if you need one of those. If you need to take one of those home, feel free to do that, by the way. Uh, but we're in Romans chapter 13. Meet me there. We'll read together verses 1 through 7 in just a little bit. I also forgot to remind you about Israel. We're going to Israel a year from now, and currently we have about 15 people signed up, which is great, uh, but there's still room, and if you're still on the fence, we encourage you to consider joining us. If you sign up by Tuesday, uh, you get $150 off the trip. Uh, You can still sign up after that, but uh, there's not that discount for that. So I encourage you to consider that, and uh, we would love to see you in Israel a year from now. Let's pray together as we get ready to get into this section of the book of Romans. Would you pray this prayer? You don't have to say anything out loud, but just say, God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Just give that prayer to God. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. And God, we pray that you would be glorified. We pray that everyone hearing this would be edified. We pray that Satan would be horrified. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's been a great series so far. I'm learning a lot as I get ready to preach. Hopefully you're picking up on some of the things of how Paul uh, put this together and the logic that he used. It is such an incredible book. It is the foundation of our faith. It's one place you can go in Scripture and understand about human sin and about Jesus as the Savior. And then what it means to be a Christian. In chapter 12, uh, Paul turned the, the corner and basically said, you are to give your lives as a living sacrifice. And then he spends the rest of chapter 12 kind of explaining what does that mean to live a living sacrifice, the daily living stuff that Paul brings up. Remember, we talked about uh, the hard part of living the Christian life and, and the good news is that God gave us spiritual gifts to serve in the body. And then, you know, there was hard things that we had to live through every day. And then last week, we learned there are some things that are impossible to live out in the Christian faith. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. And that's why we need to call on supernatural. Everybody say supernatural. We need supernatural help, thus the Holy Spirit living in us, to live out some of these things. Well, that... That just went perfectly into today's message. Romans 13, 1 through 7. Now's a good time to talk about government and you. Why? Because we're already talking about supernatural intervention. I think it's perfect that Paul went from, here's how you live the Christian life, it's going to be difficult. Here's how you can live the Christian life, it's impossible, apart from God doing a miracle in you. And now let's talk about the government. A lot of people read this passage and don't like it. Matter of fact, that's why I chose to do a lengthy fireside chat. Because honestly, I don't want to talk to you about government. It's the worst thing possible to talk about politics and government as a pastor. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. I detest it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. However, as a biblicist, when I come to a passage, I can't sidestep it. I need to just tell you what I believe Paul said. So I'm going to tell you today, honestly, very transparently, I'm not going to give you a lot of application about today living in America. I'm just not going to do it because you're not, going to, you're not going to agree with me anyway. Most of you are going to listen to this and say, yeah, that's what Paul said, but that's what you're going to say. Whether you want to say it out loud or not or honestly mean it, there's going to be a big but. And I just want to tell you, 
My perspective is looking at this, that this was not a time when there was a theocracy. Everything was perfect. God's people were wonderfully being led by a government that exalted God's people and God's words. It wasn't. Paul is writing this to a group of Christians in Rome under Roman rule. And Roman rule was oppressive and anti-God and anti-Christian. Don't forget that Nero was taking Christians, skewering them, covering them in tar, and lighting them on fire to light his parties. That's how evil Rome was. Literally, Christians were on the stakes, lit as human torches for the rich and elite Romans. So don't hear this talk and say, yeah, but Paul didn't understand our government and how rotten it is today. (laughs) You can't do that. It was just as bad or worse when Paul was saying these words. Now, I'm just going to give you his words. You're going to be responsible for the application today. PD is not going to preach the word and give an application. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to preach the word. You take it home and do whatever you think is right between you and the Lord. I'm not going to be responsible for that part. So let's go ahead and read Romans 3, 1 through 7, and we'll see how many of you are going to be excited about what I have to say after that. Romans 13, 1 through 7. Let some people, oh, no, I'm sorry. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities. Not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. All right, let me just preach what Paul just said. God has ordained government authority. I don't think anybody can take a look at this passage and walk away saying, nah, nah, no. You can't walk away from what Paul said. There is no authority except for that what God has given. And Paul tells us to be subject, everybody say subject, subject to those governing authorities. Now, I want to be very clear with you today. Being subject under any government does not mean blind obedience, First thing I would point out, that Paul did not use the readily available Greek word for obey those in authority. He could have done that. Instead, he uses this term.
Okay, Paul's teaching is not just blind obedience, but it does mean to be subject. You are under authority. God has ordained various authorities for blessing and protection. Again, I want to point out, Paul knows the horrors of being under somebody who is evil. He understands that. Don't forget, Paul was in jail several times, and Paul had to face authority several times. He understands that. He didn't write a diatribe of how to rebel. He wrote, a, wrote an instruction to how to be subject. And when you read this passage, it's very clear that Paul is saying the right way for people to govern is to bless and protect the people. That doesn't always happen. But Paul is saying... Place yourself under, submit under authority that God ordained. Is this easy? Is it always right? No. Let's look at the things that God did ordained as far as authority goes. Government is one. Family is another. I was talking about this with my wife today. It's Mother's Day. Moms are wonderful, and we love you. Are all moms wonderful? No. We've heard stories where mothers put their children in a car and drive it into water and let them drown. That's horrible. That's wrong. That's despicable. Why is it despicable? Because God ordained a position of parent for blessing and protecting children. And when they do the exact opposite, it's horrific. However, when teaching about motherhood, we say, Motherhood is wonderful, and moms, you're awesome. And we honor moms. When we hear of a story of a mom being awful and horrific, do we then say, that's it, no more Mother's Day. Moms are awful people. They can kill their children. No. No. Does it happen? Yes. The reason why it's so awful is it goes against God's plan for the authority he gave somebody. Is anybody with me today? Government, family, church, should you place yourself under the authority? At Oakwood, we have elders. We're not pastor-led, so you can take me right out of the mix. I'm just one of the elders. Can you place yourself under the authority of elders? It's becoming more and more difficult in today's age of not trusting anybody or anything. I understand that. Have you heard stories of pastors that have gone awry and elders that have not? Yeah. Yeah. I'm part of a a stream called Ministry Watch, and it simply reports every week the awful things that pastors do and are on trial for. And amazingly, I don't ever hear them in the news. I'm surprised we don't hear these in the news, but there's people that you guys follow that are actually in court for doing awful things right now. They're ones that you know. I won't name names today, but there are leaders in church that have broken the law and are in big trouble all across the world, all across our country. Is it true that leaders in church can do awful things? Yes. Like moms. Yes. Does that mean we say, no, I will never put myself under the authority of an elder? No. God designed that. It's awful when it goes wrong because God designed it for your blessing and your protection. So do we say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to follow God's plan anymore. No, we If you read this passage, Paul does not give a lot of wiggle room for rebellion. He doesn't. 
Matter of fact, he says, Paul says, if you rebel against the authority God ordained, you're actually rebelling against God himself. And that's hard. It's hard to swallow. I know. That's why I'm not going to talk about today. Employment, that's another one, by the way. Your boss, it's great when you have a wonderful boss. It's probably horrible when you don't have a wonderful boss. And can bosses be cruel? And un- Yeah, absolutely. Does that mean you should never put yourself under the authority of a boss? Paul doesn't give us these outs. So these are some ordained various authorities. So sometimes due to sin, those in authorities misuse their position of power. It's true. Therefore, what's the teaching? Whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Again, we're not saying that every person in authority in every institution does what's right. Some of them are godless and evil. But what Paul is telling us that God has placed all authority and has ordained all authority and to rebel against them is to rebel against God. So here we go. Some of you are already upset. It's funny. I wish we could hear the sound effects, but in your minds, I hear the... And everybody wants to say, but... So go ahead and do it. Everybody say, but. But, PD, come on, man. No, it can't be true. I can't apply this to today. There's no way. I'm not happy. Well, there were Jewish captives who Nebuchadnezzar stole from their land. He changed their names, their language, their education, their food. He changed everything about them. The biblical instruction for those captives, honor those in authority over you. Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. They only said no when the king asked them to do something that went against God's clear standard. So you guys want a caveat? You You want a butt that you can go home with? Here's a butt that you can go home with. Anytime any authority that God ordained tells you to do something that God would not allow you to do, you say no. Paul obeyed. The governing authorities, Paul paid taxes, Paul did all the things a good citizen should do, but when he was told not to preach the gospel, he said there's a higher law. Jesus stood before the government, Pilate questioned Jesus, you know what Jesus' answer was, was probably the prelim to Paul's writing, Jesus looked right in Pilate's face and he said, you only have authority because it was given to you from above. All authority is given from God, and I answer to God. That's what Jesus said. But Jesus showed up, and he tolerated six trials. I always think about this. Jesus is the Son of God, has all the authority on heaven and on earth. I mean, that's why I didn't get to be the one called to be Jesus, because I would have melted Pilate's face. As this mortal human being is questioning me, thinking about putting me to death, I would have been like, mm, poof, melt your face. I'm, uh. Instead, Jesus stood before evil authority and he honored them and their respect that they're due and he went through their trials and actually was wrongly put to death, but rightly because it was God's plan. Christians in Rome... I already talked about that today. Nero was awful. There's no doubt about it. It would have been hard to be under Nero. 
colonial America. We stand here today. We sit in this wonderful place, in this place called America, because people revolted against the authority that was above them. We rebelled against Great Britain. It was a revolutionary war. In 1930s, there was an awful person named Adolf Hitler. What is our response? How are we to live in an evil world where God-ordained authority, the position of authority, by the way, can evil people get into that position? Yes, they can. But God says, honor the position, honor the role, honor the office, respect the role, respect the office, and that's what you're to do as a Christian. Do I like it? No. Do I have a lot of butts? Yes. Dietrich Bonhoeffer went nose to nose with Hitler. I read his biography. It's this thick. It's in my office. If you want to read about a Christian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was eventually put to death because he was plotting with other people to assassinate Hitler. That was what Dietrich Bonhoeffer chose to do. What am I to do? That's what you don't want to hear me say. And I'm not going to say. I'm going to make you go home and do your own application today. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I want you to take what Paul says believers should do and work that out in your own life. How do I balance all of this that God is the ultimate authority, but he's placed authorities in our lives that I should place myself under willingly and submit, be subject to? So there's your butts, but let's continue on. Government is God-ordained and it's there to protect law-abiding citizens and punish lawbreakers. According to this passage, according to this passage, governments do legislate morality. Have you ever been around anybody that, that argues, you can't legislate morality? I hear that all the time today. Baloney. Of course we do. Every government has to legislate morality. We have laws against rape, wife-beating, honor-killing, stealing, assault, murder, pedophilia, and those are laws because they're moral laws. And so all moral laws are legislating morality. Every government must do it. Why do they do it? Because God calls them his servants to do what is right. So all Governments must legislate morality. And then the Bible says, rulers do not bear a sword for no reason. (laughs) So for those of you who are for capital punishment, I would say this is the text proof about capital punishment. I I don't want to get into my own personal feelings about capital punishment. I've served on a jury. I don't have much hope and confidence right now in our legal system, being able to do the right thing all the time. And I do agree with what they say. It's rather 100 people, 100 guilty people go free than one innocent man uh, to be put to death. So anyways, this is the passage where we do hear that God ordained governments to do things like war and capital punishment. If you believe that, that is where you find it here in this passage. I'm not telling you that because I don't want to deal with you. Don't send me emails and do not attack me after the service. I'm just reading what Paul said and I'm telling you what the common thought is from the commentators and the people that read the word. God's servants to punish wrongdoers. That's what the government's supposed to do. All governments are supposed to then legislate morality and then make people live up to that. And when they break the law, they should be punished. Go back to that. 
but they're to protect law-abiding citizens. That's why you see that Paul is saying God-ordained government is to protect law-abiding citizens and punish lawbreakers. That's their main purpose. Is it happening correctly? Probably not. Does it take us off the hook? Is this, is this our way that we can say, therefore, it's not perfect? Well, let's talk about marriage for a while. In marriage, we place ourselves under. We place ourselves. We're subject to one another as husbands and wife. My husband's feet stink. And he snores. Well, my wife burns the toast and she can't cook he doesn't love me like he should. She doesn't love me like she should. Therefore, we're off the hook, right? I would say the Bible gives a very different version of that. Is that easy? No. I've never said that being a Christian and living in the world is an easy thing because God raises the standard pretty high. And he said, what, you made a vow? I kind of expect you to keep a vow, not only that, nobody is expecting you to just tolerate something. God doesn't tell you to tolerate it because you made a vow. He says love. You love. That's what we're commanded to do in a marriage is love one another. Stinky feet and all. Don't just tolerate it. Love. When it comes to government, are they perfect? Absolutely not. Am I telling you that you get to do what Paul says only when you think it's proper, only when you think it's perfect? Okay. You, I'm not going to tell you what to do. We should be subject to government for our good and because it's right. Again, this is Paul. And what Paul says here is, hey, listen, those who do good have nothing to fear. <laughs> you got a government that's above you, and so if you don't do wrong, there shouldn't be nothing for you to fear. This is an easy illustration. This is like one of those knock it out of the park home runs. Anybody ever drive down the road and see a cop? Mm. I try not to speed. I, I try not to speed. I do everything fast. I'm just going to admit right now today, I drink a lot of coffee and everything I do is 100 miles an hour. I'm, I'm running at 100 miles an hour all day long until the moment I can go to sleep. Poof. It takes me about two hours, but I go poof. So when I'm driving, I'm usually speeding. And, and I, I apologize about that. It's not right. I've been trying not to. You know what I found myself doing? I'm embarrassed. As I'm driving down the road and I see a cop, I hit the brake. Then I realize I wasn't speeding. Nuts. <laughs> but in my mind, every time I see a police officer, I'm afraid because he's going to bust me. Why? Because this principle right here. Their agents of God to punish lawbreakers and protect the law-abiding, right? So do good, and you don't have anything to fear. Boy, I'm looking for that day when I'm driving down the road, and I see the police officer, and I don't slam on my brakes, and I'm like, howdy, have a nice day, and everything's happy. Why? Because I finally learned what it means to place myself under authority. There's a lot of ways you can illustrate that. Fear of punishment should not be our only motivator against doing wrong. Clearly, God, through Paul, said 
This is one of the aspects. Fear is a motivator. If you do wrong, they have a sword. You'll pay for that, right? And if you're guilty, you'll pay for the... That's definitely a motivator. But it shouldn't be the only motivator for us. It shouldn't be the primary motivator for us as Christians. What should be? Well, the believer has the Holy Spirit to spur our conscience about doing right. Paul tells us, come on, Christian, don't just not speed because you're afraid to get caught. Don't speed and break the law because we're different than the world. We're different than everybody else. You got the Holy Spirit living in you who should be spurring you to do right. Don't do bad. Don't do wrong. It's who you are when nobody's looking and you're not going to get caught. What's the only motivator for that? Holy Spirit living in you. And so Paul is telling us, yeah, there's fear for lawbreakers because that's what the government should do, should punish lawbreakers. But there should be more than that. We should live right. We should live above that. It's that pig illustration with the wings. Get out of the mud. Get out of the poop. Fly above it. Live your life above reproach and you'll have no fear. That's what Paul is trying to teach. So what about paying taxes and giving proper respect? Well, Paul ends by giving some practical things. He said, pay your taxes. The first word there, taxes, direct taxes. Income and property taxes. Pay those. Do what's right by those. And then he talks about revenue. What he means there is about indirect tax. There's things like sales tax that we pay because we live in a, in a system and we're under the authority. Don't forget that Jesus paid taxes. He didn't have any money to pay his taxes. So we had a fish bring up a coin. That was pretty cool. Wouldn't that be great at tax time? Wouldn't it be great if April 15th, we all went fishing? <laughs> I need a couple grand, <laughs> you know, <laughs> gotta pay those taxes. Yeah, Jesus had to pay taxes. I love that passage in scripture when the, the disciples come to him and like, what about our taxes? And he's like, okay, well, um, uh, first thing you need to notice, there's only two of them that needed to pay taxes, right? Uh, there was only two of them that were adult age. Don't forget, Jesus led everything with teenagers. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, there's two of them that were adults under the tax code of his time. And so he goes, go down, get a fish. And there's a coin in his mouth, go pay the taxes, right? And so Jesus paid taxes. Uh, there's taxes, there's revenue, and then there is respect. Respect the God-ordained role. And then there's honor. Honor the God-ordained office. Again, I, I usually do application. I'm trying not to today. You're going to need to determine how to live this out in your own walk. You're going to need to determine, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when is it proper to actually rebel? When is it clearly goes against God's ordained? And, and I would... I'd encourage you to give that a lot of thought when it's time to rebel. I'd encourage you to give that a lot of thought. He ends this passage and says, give respect. I can't respect. Okay. Give honor. I'm not honoring that leader. Respect the role and honor the office. What am I trying to say there? I believe what Paul is saying is God has put authority in position. Honor the authority. Respect the authority. Sometimes it's very hard because of the person in that role. But don't forget there's a role in an office. 
in the church, you might not like a pastor. Do yourself a favor. Don't go home and bash pastors or your children might grow up and not going to church. Are all pastors great? No. But if you destroy the office and the role and diminish it, it's not good for you or your children. Rather explain, you know what? God put this person in this position and we might not love everything about this, but you know what? The office and role of pastor is a special one and it deserves honor and respect. And so therefore, I use that illustration to move us to government. I'm disheartened today with Christians' attitudes and response. And so I'll just end by saying, give honor where honor is due. Give respect where respect is due. Rise above. Tracy, bring your team. Let's pray. Father God, I pray as these difficult passages are hard to live out, there are many things that we would be unhappy about today. God, help each believer to take a teaching like this and determine what is right in their own lives, what their response should be in their own lives, how to live out principles in difficult times. God, for these Christians who are hearing this for the first time in Rome, and Paul's telling them that their oppressor is there because God let it happen. And we're to honor where honor's due and respect where respect is due. And to live as good citizens. God, I just, I imagine there's a lot of feelings there that day that are here today as well. So we ask for your grace and mercy and actually miracle in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen.